Get ready for a little surf and turf action on Midnight Run Through, a podcast miniseries devoted to celebrating the 1988 contemporary classic action buddy comedy Midnight Run, written by George Gallo and directed by Martin Brass. Co-hosted by me, Jen Johans from Watch with Jen. And me, Blake Howard from One Hate Minute Productions. Each week, we'll explore the film we first bonded over when we became friends in 2019 by surfing through the incredible roster of guests from journalists to novelists and beyond who love it as much as we do. Digging into Serrano's finances and Alonzo Mosley's FBI files, come with us on Midnight Run Through as we crisscross the United States with the characters played by Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, John Ashton, Yafit Koto, Dennis Farina, Philip Baker Hall, Joe Pantoliano, and company on screen. Today, our guests are... Uh, I'm Ben Mankiewicz, uh, a host at uh, Turner Classic Movies for 20 years now. I'm Alan Seppenwall. I'm the chief TV critic at Rolling Stone, and I have seen Midnight Run probably close to 100 times in my life. But before we go any further, let's kick things off on Jack Walsh's old turf with the ultimate question. Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? 96 bottles of beer <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> Why are you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? Um, uh, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I wouldn't take a bribe. What do you, what do you want? Right? I mean, I believe in, in police work. I believe in investigative tools. And, you know, you shouldn't sacrifice your soul uh, just because you want a nicer car. Um, the uh, uh, So, you know, Midnight Run stands as one of these... Uh, there are like three movies that stand out in my life as um, movies where I remember everything about the experience of seeing them. There are many that I remember, but the ones that stand out the most are in, I think, 1998 in Miami, where I was living and working, um, uh, seeing um, Out of Sight, the Steven Soderbergh movie yeah. with the... With Clooney and, and in Miami, and too, which that is, movie is that movie's steamy. masterpiece. You need, yeah, you need you to. could do you could do this show on that movie, and I'll <laughs> yeah. be on again. <laughs> yes. um, no, it was like the, it was the perfect. Everything was. I came out of that feeling like if this were the feeling I got every time I went to a movie, I would I would go to two movies a day. Like I just because <laughs> I couldn't. It was so exciting. I just saw it with a friend, you know, but I wanted to like be. I wanted to stand up and 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 do righteous things for other guys. Like you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be I wanted to be so much cooler than I was. Um, <laughs> the other was seeing on opening weekend, either Friday or Saturday night, the midnight showing at the Uptown Theater in D.C. Uh, of Jurassic Park. The weekend oh, it opened yeah. and the and the yeah. terror that swept through the audience and the and the jaw dropping amazement at I can't believe how realistic these <laughs> things look. Right, like this yes. was. That was such a breakthrough moment for me in what technology could could do in a good way for a movie. And the other one was in college. So a movie came out in 88, right? So yes. I graduated in 89. So either late 88 or early 89 at a screening, like the late night screening, maybe midnight. I don't know. It was late on campus at Tufts University. I don't have a lot of great memories at Tufts. I don't have bad memories. I have almost no memories. But I, <laughs> I went and I saw that. And it was packed. I hadn't seen it in first run in the theaters when it came out. And the electric laughter. And again, my thought of, 
oh my God, movies, they're, they're, this, this is amazing. And yet I hadn't <laughs> even heard of this movie really, you know, when it had come out. So I didn't even know I got, I'm sure I got dragged to it by a roommate, you know, and, and I just, it, and I remember the intense laughter, the thing that I remember as being the funniest thing in the movie. I now have changed my opinion, but at that moment was De Niro after he takes Alonzo's badge. And <laughs> away, that shot lingers, right? Marty Bress yeah, holds yeah. that shot of him walking up the sidewalk for a while. You're like, where's he going? Why are we seeing him walk away for, you know, you expect maybe a beat or two, but it's like beat one, beat two. Before and you're like what and then he turns around right and the kids everybody and all these 20 year olds at that tough stage everybody just screaming and howling with laughter at that one at that yes. one move oh wow I, I, so that I, was your favorite at the time do you have a new favorite you said funny moment Oh, I mean, there's so many. Most of it now is, is I mean, I wrote down so many things watching it again yesterday before talking to you guys, you know, watching it for, you know, as I'm sure for just about everybody you've talked to for the, you know, 43rd time, 72nd time. <laughs> I don't know what it is, right? And uh, it wasn't Letterboxd the, when we started watching this, Jen and I, 20 years ago when, you know, for yeah, us, I, like 20 years ago, you start watching it and you're like on VHS or whatever. Uh, if there yeah, was a you know, Netflix, so if I there, remember it about 89 on video as a new release, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, but you know, I, I probably the, I mean, it could be why you're so unpopular with Chicago police, uh, but of course, <laughs> but it, it, you know, there's so many, yeah, you know, gee, I really like the, you. The, I was going to say the line that I love is right before that. And I don't know why this kills me now. And I've watched this movie so many more times in preparation to talk to people like your great self, but it's this. It's in the car with Mosley. Yeah. And he just puts his glasses on. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. I, right. I just, I can't believe, it's so silly and it just tickles me and I laugh like it's, laugh well, like it's, it just gets me every time his face is perfect. <laughs> oh and and the, the great, so one of the things, well, first of all, I was going to say probably the red scene, which I've now, yeah read from reading that wonderful Paul Thomas Anderson uh, interview with, with Marty Brest uh, last year, I guess, or sometime the last couple of years before screening Beverly Hills Cop and, and, and Midnight Run, that so much of that was pieced together. I mean, they were just ad-libbing and ad-libbing and they just took, but it's so perfect, you know, mm. you know, then why do they call you Red? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> from Redwood. Wood's my last name. Long, long pause. <laughs> right. Right. Just Grodin. like, right. It's grown and just try to, it's <laughs> so, uh, so, I mean, but there's, there's so many things, but one thing that, that I, like, one thing I wrote down yesterday was like, uh, hope I can, 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 can I find it, but the, it's so quick. I mean, he's taken him by the FBI. They're shoving him in that car. Right. And he's putting on the sunglasses, which is such a great moment when those guys crowd him. And it's so, it's no way three grown men should be sitting in the backseat of that car. Right. <laughs> Alonzo's in the front. He turns around and he's got this power position, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're surrounded, you're scrunched in this car with two of my guys and I'm going to get you to talk in a normal movie. Right. They, and just by putting on the sunglasses, he reseizes all the power and you know, everything about Jack Walsh in the first nine and a half minutes, which is before, you know, when he comes, basically when he comes out of the police station, gets apprehended and the movie really begins when he turns around with the badge and, and the, and because we're about to bring Groden into the movie. It's so fast, right? But there's not, it goes so quickly, all that stuff. You'd think that would take much more time to have him, you know, they got, he's got to make the collar at the beginning of the movie in the apartment. 
all these things, again, getting pulled in by Eddie and getting told about Jonathan Mardukas. And again, it always gets me that he knows everything about it because he's smart and he read the papers. Yeah, I know he is. I know he is. I read the papers, right? Uh, <laughs> and of course, John Ashton has no earthly idea who this guy is at any no. point, right? He's clueless, right? And they both do the same job, but one of them's an idiot and one of them's too smart for this job. So, but he re-seizes the power by putting the sunglasses on there. And I'm, I I don't know whether that's in the script. I don't know whether that's a, 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 you know, what that is, but, and it's also the manner in which De Niro can, can control a scene just with an action mm-hmm. without saying anything, right? It's yeah, or the line, you know, what do you all shop at the same store? Or these like government issues, yeah. <laughs> yeah. these government issue, yeah, you guys all shop at the same store, yeah, Agent Foster Grant, yeah, yeah, hey, and then even when Alonzo slides the glasses back to him at the you know, at the destitute the diner. diner, yeah, oh, oh, hey, thanks, I've been looking for these, hey, Alonzo, <laughs> thanks, yeah, even he's at his lowest point, maybe in his life or since leave since getting kicked out of Chicago, right? He's lost him, no clue how to get him back. And then still he gets the sunglasses. He's like, ah, I can say something funny and I can re-seize a little power here. I love it. Hey, Jack Walsh. Excuse me. Are you Jack Walsh? I'm sorry, don't I know you? Alonzo Mosley, FBI. Oh, that's a nice badge. How can I get one of those? I want to talk to you, Jack. Yeah? Why don't you call my social secretary? You're very funny. Please. I want to talk to you. Yeah, take your hands off. Take it easy. You know, it's a $10 fine for jaywalking in Los Angeles. Shut up. What I want to know is, are you working on anything having to do with Jonathan Mardukas? Never heard of him. Well, I believe you had heard of him. Let me tell you something, asshole. I've been working on this Jimmy Serrano thing for about six years. Mardukas is my shot. I'm going to bring him into federal court. And I don't want any third-rate rental thug who couldn't cut it as a cop in Chicago bringing him to L.A. on some bullshit local charge. Do I make myself understood? Can I ask you something? These sunglasses, they're really nice. Are they government-issued, or do all you guys go, like, to the same store to get them? Do I make myself understood? Can't you take a joke? Get him out of here. No, let's talk some more. Get the fuck out of here. If I hear anything, I'll let you know, okay? Have a nice day. Thank you. Think I can have my sunglasses back? Here's your sunglasses. Good. Thanks. Thanks for this, too. Alonzo Mosley. Alonzo. Alan, it is kind of internet renowned that you might be the world's biggest Midnight Run fan. So this is awesome that we've got both of you guys here on the show together. So we'd love to know, we've just been talking about with Ben how his first experience. What was your first experience of seeing Midnight Run? 
let's see i would have been 14 years old in the summer of 1990 1988 i was seeing a lot of movies you know i had just seen die hard you know i think earlier that week i would just you know be taken to the theater all the time this was you know this was in the days when like you're a teenager and you just see grown-up movies for grown-ups mm-hmm. about grown-ups here's this movie about two middle-aged guys <laughs> you know d- you know dealing with stuff and i loved it it was so funny it was so exciting it was like all of the things i like in movies all rolled into one uh and i've just i've watched it a million times i'm about to turn 50 next week and the tradition on my birthday going back a while in the family is i get to pick the family movie for my birthday no one can say no to this guess what we're watching (laughs) (laughs) i i think we could i think we could get that's a good rule that's a really good rule. Yeah. Um, I, I, my kids are now understanding that they do have to relinquish their stranglehold on our household television for dad to watch something that he wants to watch on his birthday. But I haven't been able to throw a midnight run because they're only s- almost seven and five. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to when they creep into that just slightly, slightly inappropriate ages of like, you know, 11 and 12 to, to throw on some of my favorites. Um, what was the most memorable scene at the time? Like, you know, I, I guess I wonder if for like a 14 year old at the time, because I think um, uh, you're a whisker older than Jen and I, but like at that time when you saw it and it was so funny, was there something that has still remained funny for you for this entire time? Lots of it. I saw this, uh, my friend Matt Zeller cites to screenings at a theater in New York, like rep things all the time. And so mm-hmm. we he, he hosted a midnight run screening earlier this year and then had me up for Q and A after. And so I got to watch it in a theater with an audience and it played man there's yeah. one bit in particular that got the by far the biggest laugh and it comes right after my favorite scene in the movie which we can talk about in a bit but it's jack is in the phone booth calling Eddie moscone and saying <laughs> you know i'm you know I'm, I'm in anchorage alaska i'm in boise idaho you know <laughs> i'm in the lobby but howard johnson's wearing a pink carnation and he starts yelling at eddie and he says like i swear to god you know, I'm going to kill this guy and dump him in the river. And he immediately turns to the Duke yes. and shakes his head no. And the theater exploded <laughs> at that. It's perfect. It is. Yes. Like make a collect call to an Eddie Moscone from a Jack Walsh. Moscone, bail bonds. Jerry, Jack, put Eddie on the phone. Eddie, it's Jack. Jack, stop fucking around. Where are you? Where am I? I'm in Boise, Idaho. No, 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 wait a minute. I'm in Anchorage, Alaska. No, 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 wait. I'm in Casper, Wyoming. I'm in the lobby of a Howard Johnson's and I'm wearing a pink carnation. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the other guys. What other guys? Well, let me describe the scene to you. There's these guys, see? They've probably been up for like two days. They stink of B.O., they have coffee bread, they're constipated, sitting on their asses for so long. They're sitting in a van and they're probably parked right up the street from your office. But now, you guys, you're gonna have to pack up all your shit and go home because I'm on to you, you dumb fucks. Eddie, your phone is tapped. Listen, I'm not gonna use this line anymore. Go to Chen Lu's. I'll call you there in five minutes. They can't run a tap that fast. So long, everybody. Listen, I need you to wire me 500 to the Western Union office in Amarillo, Texas, right away. Wait a minute, what do you need with $500 on a bus? And why the fuck aren't you on a plane? Did it ever occur to you that I am a professional and that I might have my reasons? We are driving now and I only have enough cash to get to Amarillo. We had to scrap the bus. Fuck the bus! I want to know what happened to the goddamn plane! He doesn't like to fly. He doesn't like to fly? What the fuck does that mean? Listen to me, Jack. 
You gotta be back here in less than two and a half fucking days. A half million dollars of my money. What the fuck is going on there? Eddie, 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 I swear to God, don't start with me now or I will shoot him and I will dump him in a fucking swamp. I am in no fucking mood for this. Just send me the money and I'll have him back by the deadline. You hear me? Yes. Let's go. The I think one thing I want to touch on, and it's something that you were talking about, Ben, is... In nine minutes, you know absolutely everything you need to know about Jack, and you know everything you need to know about Marvin and all most of the characters that we've met. We haven't yet met the Duke, but in nine and a half minutes, and I'm just marvel at in a world of movies dominated by Marvel, who take three hours to tell a story, and you're like, why does this take so long? And I watched mm-hmm. nine minutes of Midnight Run, and I'm like, I love and know almost every character I've seen. And it's so mm-hmm. fast and it's so stripped down, but it's so memorable. Like it, it does what it says on the tin. Like you're good. Um, and I, in a completely other random world, I'm doing a show on Peter Weir's master and commander. And I'm like, you would think some people say like, Oh, parts of the Caribbean was the bigger movie that year at the, at the theaters and parts of the Caribbean takes like 45 minutes for anything to happen. And <laughs> in eight minutes, there are guns firing in Master and Commander. Russell Crowe has a giant piece of wood stuck in his neck. They have to escape into a fog. I'm like, you know, every character, there's been people who've been flayed. It's like, I'm like, if you put these movies side by side, one of them is more action-packed and it works and it's more economical and the other isn't. And I just think there's an art of economy that this movie has that just floors me every time. I know every character. Hence, You know in. the world. You know the yeah. world, you're in it. It's so tactile. Mm-hmm. I can't. I think I just want to because you mentioned the thing that that I, that I brought up there because I timed it. It's really from from leaving out the opening credits, but like it is like nine minutes from the time when he's got his badge, and you couldn't be more on somebody's side. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, every little moment he has. You know, when they're turning in the guy he brings in early. You know, this guy gave you any trouble, right? And yeah. I, I can curse, right? You know, yes, of course. Yeah. And then the guy, you know, turns to him and goes, "Fuck you." He's like, yeah. You didn't get me any trouble, did you? Like, it's just everything. It's so good. I mean, he'd gotten Marvin. He's smart. He's he's fearless, right? Mm. And he's got a sense of fair play. Like yes. he's not he's not going to rough the guy up. He's not going to tell the cops that the guy was a pain in the ass. Nothing. He's just going to like his job. He's got a. It's clear he's got a job and he's got a code of ethics. You've learned that instantly, right? And it's yeah. perfect, man. And then the conversation with Eddie. And we're off. And then you just like, okay, who's this guy he's going after? Like, where do I, when, and that's it. That's the, it's so economical, so perfectly well done by, by Marty Brest. It's so good. And the watch, like they kind of set up. Right. Him yeah, totally. Right. Walking yeah. in the police yeah. station, he's tapping yeah. it, trying to, right. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, we know and, that's, and that's the economy of the screenplay, but it's also De Niro because he yes. had never really done this before, which is, no. this is a capital M movie star performance by De Niro who mm-hmm. had never really done it before, has done it very rarely since then, you know, at, at least until he got much older. And he's like, instead of the great actor that we knew that he was, this is just him using his charisma, using his sense of humor, which he had not really displayed before. He just sort of commands the screen and you're like, wait, I like Robert De Niro. I'm not scared of him in this. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> that's great. He, you know, I, so I said something, I was, uh, I just did a, a long form interview with Nancy Myers and it had me rewatch all of her movies in a short period of time. And so I watched and watching something's got to give, I was like, you know, 
this Jack Nicholson guy. <laughs> and I realized, I'm like, this is one of his four or five great, greatest performances. And I realized what that's, what I'm saying when I say that, because you can, that list, that's a, like, there's 35 performances that are competing for a spot in that top five. The, and the so, options in the list of top five Jacks could literally right, be right. 90,000 possibilities. You that's right. Yeah, and, and, and so I get why, but I mean, you, I would definitely at a bare minimum be like, you have to consider that because this is a character who should be sort of, you know, loathsome and a little creepy. And you're like, you just, you want to know what he's going to do next, say next, you're interested in him. And I'm going to go ahead and say that realizing what this means that I, I you could certainly make an argument that this is Robert De Niro's best performance. And I, I say that out of knowing full well, what kind of performances this guy has delivered in, in other films. But I think he is so exceptional here. And as Alan says, that's really, you know, like don't sleep in, in our eagerness to talk about Martin Brest and George Gallo and the economy of the screenplay and how tight it, like let's not sleep on the fact that, <laughs> that this is a brilliant performance by a giant movie star. Yeah. And this it is like, Biggest is... crush of my childhood was on De Niro because of this movie. Yes. <laughs> De Niro's hot in this movie. He looks he so good in the leather jacket. My God. Yeah. Oh, I totally wanted the leather jacket oh, completely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You can't find leather jackets like that because it's kind of a blazer, yeah. right? You know, yeah. God, it's dirty at the end. I mean, I've really yeah. focused way. It's this movie's like a Western where like by they're it coming is. in and you're like, these guys need to take a shower. Like forget, <laughs> forget eating, forget getting milk to soothe your ulceric stomach. Like you need a bath. It's funny that this and Die Hard came out five days apart because both of these are movies where the guy wears one outfit for the whole thing and he just yeah. gets dirtier and dirtier yes. and dirtier over the course of the film. All right. So so that you you by mentioning Die Hard, which was an, uh, I mentioned Alan at the start of the, the start of the, the, the three sort of greatest movie going experiences of my life. Die Hard would be four, which I yeah. did see uh, the opening. I'm sure it was opening weekend because the theater was so intensely packed and the guy in front of me um, uh, was so excited when when uh when uh uh a got shot again coming yeah. out that he he slapped his wife on the back of the head like but in glee like ah, right and she turns to him and said whatever his name is she's like you know randolph and he's like i'm so sorry baby right he was right in front of us <laughs> but the theater was again uh electric but i so so that caused me to look up 88 in the movies kind of thing alan i'm sure knows off the top of his head and i'm not even mentioning like the oscar winner right i'm, I'm, I'm leave out the last emperor i mean fatal attraction wall street the accused rain man midnight run naked gun bull durham fish called wanted die hard big coming to america scrooge tequila sunrise which i also love i so, love that yeah um like that and i'm barely scratching the surface like 1988 all-time great year i would say wonderful now year. in hollywood wonderful transition yes. year yes so much, so many good things. And they were fighting for, to get out on the same day. They were like, and, and uh, at one time, <clears throat> um, at one time, like they were, what I think die hard because they didn't know quite what they'd had yet. Cause it hadn't opened wide. We're like, Oh, is midnight run going to eat our lunch at the, at the box office? <laughs> and obviously um, it didn't, uh, but absolutely insane. Insane. Yeah. I mean like the, some of these, the, 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 the big Michael Douglas movies, you know, Wall Street and, and, uh, Fatal, uh, Attraction. Fatal Attraction, they're, they're 38th and 39th on the box office list. I mean, it was, wow. and you guys, you know, even Alan, like I'm older than all y'all. And like, so I was 21 years old in, in 1988. So when Die Hard came out, there was a sense of 
this TV star, Bruce Willis, from a show that was, you know, again, didn't do that yeah. well, but it drew him attention. Um, there was the, I remember distinctly thinking, Ugh, Bruce Willis trying to do Stallone, this is going to suck. <laughs> right? I mean, just a positive 21 being, you know, cynical and thinking, ah, this is going to be a waste of time, but I'm going with my friends on a Saturday night. It's packed theater. We have tickets. Maybe it'll be fun anyway, like laughing at it. Right. But of course, none of that happened. It was thrilling. It was a film like one of the other movie going or actually watching it at home experiences that changed my childhood because I saw it in second grade. My dad <laughs> showed it to my older brother. I sat in the room and watched and can I just had say, nightmares can I about just say, Alan Rickman forever. Yeah. Jen, yeah. I love so much that we get to remember and actually recount on some of our shows together when our family irresponsibly allowed us to view movies. Meet my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, welcome to my dad. Hey, boomer parents. This is exactly what happens when you show me these movies that are so, I, I watched Pulp Fiction in 94. I think I was in fourth grade, you know, like it's, Catholic it's school not... and went over and watched it that day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My mom took me to see hair in the theater when I was like five <laughs> because she didn't think I would like, notice oh <laughs> <laughs> um, so good but we've talked about de niro and i think yeah. ben yeah as controversial as those uh take uh, that as that take might sound to some you're you're on the right show jen and i are right with you and i think alan yeah. would be the same yes but for my measurement my metric of success as when i'm watching actors and you know when you love a movie sometimes you just end up like lasering in on different people i'm always marveling at people who can stand up with titans like the Niro. like if you can stand in the same scene and you hold your own that is really special and so my favorite movie of all time is michael mann's heat and so i look at like not even like tom sizemore but like kilmer it makes me go kilmer is like he's just in every scene he's not getting blown off the screen but charles grodin is so unbelievable and it's yeah. like a theory that i have like any actor that can act with a muppet and then go and like act against john cassavetes or act against robert de niro and they're going to be a legend and charles grodin is just pure joy in this movie every single scene he is unbelievable the way he modulates and fakes people out and fakes jack out and reveals <laughs> his personality and his wiliness the whole Thing. I just can't get enough of him. He's unbelievable. Like the, they are truly the odd couple and he's mm -hmm. spectacular. What's, he's what's so down. good about it? I love the plane freak out. Anyway. <laughs> what's so good about it is, is he is so clearly in charge of everything from the moment they get on the yes. plane. Yes. Like the, if you do yes. the version of this movie today, it's like the rock and you know, pick your various comedic beta male kind of guy. Yes. And it's just the rock shoving this guy around and always getting over on him. And here it's the Duke figures out very quickly what the situation is and how to get over on this guy. And he pushes his buttons and he pushes his buttons in every single scene. And De Niro is, as Ben said, incredible, but Groden does not give an inch to him. No. And you wind up loving this guy who is so annoying because an being annoying is his superpower. Like, this is the thing he's going to use. You know, Jack is physically imposing. Jack has a gun. Jack has handcuffs. The Duke has his mouth. And Charles Grodin with that mouth is glorious. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, so uh, I think Martin Brest said, I think it was in that conversation with Paul Thomas Anderson, it must have been, um, that uh, that not for one second uh, did uh, uh, did was Groden intimidated by De Niro. Like, you know, it wasn't cocky mm-hmm. with him. He was he just he was he, he was an actor, which must happen fairly often with yeah. De Niro, right, where you yeah. have to get an actor past the I can't believe I'm shooting a scene with 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 Robert De Niro. Yeah. You know, I had a friend play an FBI agent who arrested De Niro and then had a couple scenes in it in the, uh, you know, the one where he played Bernie Madoff, right? The HBO yeah. movie where he played mm-hmm. Bernie Madoff. And he's like, yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, you're like, oh, I'm cuffing Robert De Niro. I'm in a scene like you, 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 it's, a, I mean, I, I, of course it's totally human. My guy, my friend's a super accomplished actor and you still, but, and Groden just never flinched, said Brest, like at a moment, he was the right guy, clearly, uh, uh, to go toe to toe with him. I think we have to talk about the litmus configuration because it, (laughs) it's, I don't know if there's ever been a funnier scene. And I think then you talked about red. (laughs) Red. Why do they call you red? (laughs) Because my last name would red wood. Like when he slaps (laughs) the counter, like, have you gotten any twenties? Yeah. Uh, And also there's such little things like De Niro, just the way, uh, these, uh, you know, the, these are whatever he says. These are, and these, these are good. Like, I'm going to leave you $60. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. just like the amount of freedom that Brest gave Groden to just go off and do things. And obviously that's a scene with a fair amount of scripted exchanges, but just, yeah, the rhythms right, but, of it. So, I, yeah, I, I think I, if I'm remembering correctly, and I can't remember which thing I read, but, you know, it's, uh, so that scene was, Piece together from so many different things and a lot of fair, a lot of it written and a lot of improv. And then, so they got clearly some reactions to different stuff that they're using that he, and the editors were, you know, breast is pretty, a very unique editing process here where they, he said, analyzed overanalyzed more than any other movie, almost every inch of film shot, right. Mm -hmm. Pouring over it to figure out exactly what they had and, and, and how to make it work. And, and that scene is just, Oh my God, it's so perfect. Everything is perfect. We'll be back after this quick break. And, but I just, can I say one other thing before we, because I, I don't want, the litmus configuration is important. But I cry every time I see this movie. I cried yesterday. It's got to be, as I said, 43 times, 71 times, whatever it is. Yeah. But I mean, I cried again yesterday. I mean, that scene with his daughter. Oh God, oh my God. Are you sudden, in the eighth grade? Oh because everything stops right yes. i mean it's this electric fast moving movie and then for whatever that is four yeah. minutes and eight seconds three minutes and 27 seconds whatever it is it stops all right same old jack you get your feelings hurt and then you just walk around and hurt everybody yeah, else this thing i need now is one of your lectures i'm not lecturing you stupid i'm trying to protect oh, you oh come on ted is going to be home any minute we're all going out it's an important night for us important night what's so important about tonight wait let me guess what's it payoff night all right that's it get out listen i'm in a big fucking jam i just need to borrow some money so i can get this guy back to la and i'm out of this miserable fucking business forever can't you understand that Denise? 
You got so big. Sorry, I'm gonna go now, I'm sorry. No, hold on. I'm sorry, honey, I just, we're having a... What grade are you in now? Eighth. Are you in the eighth grade? These are the keys to my car. It's the station wagon in the driveway. I'll tell Ted that it's in the shop. Okay. And we'll worry about it when you get back to L.A. So, uh, does he take good care of you? Yeah? That's all I wanted to know. So, what's he gonna say about this? He'll understand. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's love, you know. Bye, honey. It just yeah. stops and they look at each other and there's the, and the way De Niro notices her. Right. And then the what, mom, right. She puts her hand up to her face. Like she knows like, ah, oh, forget being mad at him. He hasn't seen his daughter in nine years. And my little girl hasn't seen her dad in nine years. And it's beautiful. This is beautiful moment. And it also moments earlier had given us, you don't look like a criminal. I'm a white collar criminal. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The movie does not work at all without that scene. That is the right. most yeah. important. It's I my know. favorite scene in the movie. It's incredible. Yeah. When I saw it in the theater earlier this year, you could have heard a pin drop yeah. in the theater when you turn around and see his daughter. But mm -hmm. you need that because you mm -hmm. need to understand what it is that Jack has lost as a right. result of the decisions he's made regarding Serrano. And more importantly, the Duke needs to see this and right. the Duke needs yes. to not be an asshole in this moment. <laughs> and they walk out and they're going to the car and oh, Groden God. is getting into the car and Jack like makes sure that his coat does not get caught in the door. Mm -hmm. And in this one little gesture, which I believe is improvised, 
like you know that their relationship has completely changed and that's why it's followed immediately by jack in the phone booth reassuring the duke that he's not actually gonna you know beat him to death and dump him (laughs) in the river like it's just you need all of that to then for the whole second half of the movie to matter and really for the whole thing to not feel like a lark which you know it's if it was just a lark it would still be incredibly funny but the emotional weight that that scene gives everything that follows is what makes it so special Mm, yeah i don't even i didn't notice the coat and i'm irritated that's the kind of thing it's the kind of thing i just already see myself annoyingly backing it up with my wife look what he does with the coat but i didn't catch it so nice yeah. thank you yeah and and the, and the line you quoted before are you in the eighth grade that is so devastating because it's like he hasn't seen her for forever he doesn't know he doesn't what to know. say to her yeah you know yeah. she tells him in, she's in the eighth grade so he already knows this he's like and the only thing he can think to say is ask her to confirm the details she has just given him because their relationship oh, no. is so broken it's awful and great the babysitting money that whole that she goes and gets yes. it she, oh come on yes. come on come and on. he still says no he, uh when we were just w- talking right at the beginning off air ben was recounting a story about driving his daughter to school and making her listen to springsteen which i think is perfect um and when you were saying that ben i could already feel that the how important this you would never have had to have even mentioned this scene and i could tell how important it is to Mm -hmm. you because the idea of not seeing my daughter for nine years I, I can't even, I mean, try nine days, like nine weeks, <laughs> nine months. Yeah. I was just going to say, but his integrity has a price. And that's kind of the ultimate price for one's integrity. And I think it's such a great character thing. Because as you said, he has morals. We've seen him be fair. And fairness in this corrupt world has a price. And it's, it also is so perfectly structured in the story to do that. And it, I, I, it's one and of my I, favorite scenes too. I always think unspoken also is the notion that if he'd just left the force and retired and stayed in Chicago, that his family wouldn't be safe. Yes. So, I mean, yes. well, it's, I think it's clear that he thought, no, I, I have to leave Chicago and abandon my child or she could get shot when they come and yep. when Serrano comes and kills me. Yes. I will say this though, as much as I adore that scene and it's the best thing in the movie, there are, there are moments where I sort of get superficial later on. I'm like, man, if Jack had just taken the babysitting money, the Duke could have the chorizo and eggs right now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, but then we wouldn't get the litmus configuration. Yeah. Just the litmus configuration. Yeah. I love, I love that they do all that. And then they run for the train and drop all their groceries. on yeah. the floor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Totally. Yeah, well, not Groden. Groden gets his in, but yeah. De Niro loses his. That's and right. The, yeah. The train but. scene has the other great Groden improv, which is you guys probably know the story, but the chicken. Yes, exactly. Like Brest, sa- Brest <laughs> says to Groden, "I need you to do whatever you can to get Bobby to laugh now." Yes. Because the scene is only going to work if he's laughing, and so Groden just starts talking about sex with farm animals, <laughs> yeah. and that works. Yeah. <laughs> Jack? What? Which further do you think we have to go? None of your fucking business. No, because, you know, eventually I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. Shut the fuck up. Did you ever have sex with an animal, Jack? 
Remember those chickens around the Indian reservation? There's some good-looking chickens there, Jack. You know, between us. Yeah, a couple there uh, might have taken a shot at. <laughs> What's with you in that watch? What is it with the watch? You told me when you get to know me better, you told me about your, your feelings for chickens. I mean, well, how, how private could the watch be? What's the big secret? Now, Gail bought me this watch. She gave it to me. It was the first thing she ever gave me. She, uh, she, she bought it because I was always late, at least a half an hour, so she bought it and set it ahead a half an hour so I'd never be late. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I keep thinking we're gonna wind up together again. I don't know why. I'm still hanging on. I'm still waiting around. I don't think she's coming back. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. Sometimes you just have to let go. Just get yourself a new watch. You're okay, Jack. I think under different circumstances, you and I probably still would have hated each other. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably could have been friends. In the next life. Yeah, the next life. Yeah, right. And then they have that laugh together where we get that's almost like the only time in the movie that De Niro does a De Niro, right? He gives you a a, a, a Robert De Niro laugh, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, it's good, man. Yeah. It's such a, he has uh, by a the way, funny Danielle, De Niro laugh Danielle, on the plane a little, like with the surf and turf action. Oh, the surf and turf, right? He does it there too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surf and turf action, right, yeah. You get the lobster, yeah. The, that's uh, the other one, though, yeah. Uh, Danielle Duclos is the yes. name of the little girl, uh, oh. as you know, guys know, who played the daughter. And I just, uh, I, she, you know, she has almost no lines, uh, but that's as a really solid acting performance yeah. that she delivers. Yes. Uh, oh my God, it's, it's, that's such a great scene. There's so many great scenes. Um, we can, we can talk for ten, 10 hours about every scene in this movie. <laughs> that's right, that's right. There's no, there's no, there's. No, I, I mean, I really don't think that there's a scene to me that, like the, if I, if you you know put a gun to my head and make me criticize one thing in Midnight Run, I would guess it would be the you know the one too many Marvin somebody's coming punch jokes too many punches <laughs> yeah. that out. But, but that but really also, but also but it does pay off at the end, right? Yeah, but but yeah. you're also like with Marvin, you're like oh maybe there's one too many. But John Ashton is so fun to watch be punched. Oh God, He's I so fun him. to watch me punch. I can't I, in the nicest possible yeah. way. Watch John your cigarettes Ashton. with this guy, Jack. Watch your cigarettes with this guy. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, even right. But of course, right. It needs it does pay off at the end when he doesn't turn around and the guys are actually coming, which causes him to scream. Serrano's got the discs, right? So it, it has its... Um, and Ashton, again, it's the notion that, that, that De Niro knows, that Jack knows everything about the Duke. Right. Mm -hmm. And and Ashton has never read a newspaper in his life beyond the comics. 
right? So he has no <laughs> idea. So he's the kind of guy who would keep turning around and uh, uh, and getting punched. And that scene at the airport, like the fact that the movie is able to have that genuine level of menace yeah. from the moment Serrano gets into the car with the Duke Ooh. and promises yep. to kill him and find his wife and kill her too. Yep. And then everything is, as all the goons are coming at them, like for this movie, I mean, there's action, there's danger before then. But at that moment, you feel genuinely scared for everybody. And for them to be yes. able to pull that off in the midst of a movie that also has Why Are You Unpopular with the Chicago Police Department yeah. and all this other silliness is really extraordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I, and a lot of that has to do with, well, one, the screenplay because of what he says, but but Dennis Farina. Who, Dennis yes. Farina. Amazing. Who's ter- I mean, that when he tells, when he just adds, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to have a nice hot meal. Yes, then I'm gonna, and you're, yeah. first, I want you to know two things. One, you're going to die tonight, right? Two, mm-hmm. I'm going to go home, have a nice meal. I'm going to find your wife. I'm going to kill her yeah. too. And that is chilling, right? Because yeah. you believe he is going to do it. There is that is yeah. that is as sure as the sun will rise the next day. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. going to happen. He is, and he's still so early in his acting career. And he yeah, right. just makes everyone yeah. shudder and quake in their feet. boots. Because yeah. also, because I mean, he's got that, but he's also, I mean, every one of those lines to Philip Baker Hall, you know, oh, Sydney, God. come out from behind this desk and bury this phone in your fucking head. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, have a sandwich, have, have a cream, cream soda. soda. Have a cream soda. <laughs> right. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're so funny. They're all funny. And then it's terrifying. Right. And then yeah. we know from the other work that, that, that he did, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a huge get short. I'm, uh, I was talking at the beginning about how much I love out of sight and, you know, all the good Elmore Leonard adaptations of which get shorty is one. And Farina's a big part of that too. Oh, he's amazing in that. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I love when he's asking Keaton about his shirt and out of sight. Oh my God. It's one of my, other favorite scenes of all yeah time. right right, right. Yeah, yeah it's just one of my favorite yeah, another one he says undercover seated too but he has the yeah. upper hand and keaton yeah. is standing i love that yeah right and there's dennis farina being sweet right this yeah. loving loving caring thoughtful parent who's worried yeah. about his little girl right who's now yeah. a federal marshal yeah yeah farina's uh it was uh he was uh, truly gifted and phil we know philip baker hall is and we know paul mm-hmm. thomas anderson used the, he made the character's name sydney Yes, you know, for hard eight. In, in his first movie, Hard Eight. So we know how much the movie matters to 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 Paul. So yeah, it all ties together very nicely. It's, yeah, the supporting cast is incredible. I, yeah, I, I, Joe Pantoliano, Yafet Koto. I mean, they're all great. Oh. Yafet Koto. Oh my god. Oh my god. Is he funny in this? <laughs> I mostly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the slow burn of that. Yeah. And then the moment in the airport after they've pulled it off and he walks over to Serrano Mm -hmm. and he flashes this million dollar goddamn smile at him. Just the joy. Again, there's all these people who you want to see get wins and you've seen Mosley suffer so much throughout this movie because he's always behind. Jack has his badge. Nothing is working right. And in the end, you want to see him get the win almost as much as you want to see Jack get the win. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. And it's that, and it's that manner in which Mosley is on Jack's side, right? I mean, they are ultimately both guys seeking genuine justice in the mm-hmm. world, right? With yes, a sense yes. of justice in the world. So he didn't care about all these things, Jackson. Of course, I made the deal. He's good on the deal. And also just when he says, put a wire on this man, right? Yes. right? You know. Uh, and then I just read, I don't know, in the last couple of days that, that the, I'm going to have a heart attack here was not scripted and is not... Uh, uh, and that was that was Yafet Koto's 
considerable frustration with Martin yeah. Rest, right? Yeah. Um, uh, with, uh, you know, so he's like, the scene was taking too long. And so they're rolling and he's like, I'm going to have a heart attack here. Cause then it's there it is in the movie. It's so good. Yeah. Are all you guys named Mosley? Yeah. Oh, it's a perfect name. It's like the right number of syllables, the right, like it's a good name to punch. And yeah, it's perfect. Now, I, I'm assuming everyone on here is aware of this, but I feel like it bears mention just in case there is a Larry the Cable Guy movie that Yafet Kato is in shortly, like it's one of his final things, or maybe it's one of his later things. And he was playing Alonzo Mosley in the movie because Larry the Cable Guy loved it so much. They have <laughs> not got, it's called Witness <laughs> Witless Protection. From I, I, know not, I okay. did not know this, Alan. They had not gotten permission to use the oh, character's no. name, like no one went to Universal, so it had to be re-edited. So instead of Alonzo Mosley, he is now Ricardo Bodie. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> uh, that's so great. <laughs> Witless protection. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yafet Kota star starting starting with. Sir, that must mean Walsh has your badge. <laughs> you know, and that's the first that he does, because then his guys keep saying obvious things throughout the movie. It's and eventually you get the scene he where he's his like, own Marvin. Is, yeah. is this news going to upset me? I think yeah. it's fair to say so, sir. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> I think it's fair to say so, sir. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Uh, uh, we, uh, just in the spirit of sharing something that we learned um, from the great George Gallo, George Gallo makes a cameo in the movie. He's yes. the ca he's the cab driver at the end, who De Niro oh, really? has oh, got change of a thousand. Yeah. Oh, good. All right, I like and, that. That's and, wonderful. And that's, yeah. So if you watch that again, for you absolute diehard fans uh, of this movie, you can hear George Gallo's young voice from yeah. the cab as the cab driver. Oh, the other thing I loved is he had just started dating the woman who became his wife, Julie, and so that line "Say hello to Julie for me" that uh, he put her name in the script. Which where where's say hello to julie for me isn't that on a phone call um who's I whose think, phone call i think de niro makes a phone call and so there's a line i don't know if it's when no no isn't it with the cop isn't it with the cop at the beginning say hi to julie for me yeah, oh there's right some kind of line yeah, yeah, yeah. About oh, say nice. hi to julie for me yeah, yeah. it's not nice. that guy's got to be the guy in la who helps him find the records that i always feel like that's not an actor that's an ex-cop and i don't mean that he's bad <laughs> i just mean he's too much it just looks like a, it seems like that's de niro acting with a actual former lapd cop if not a working <laughs> lapd cop it is also extremely action-packed and like unrelenting and and has these amazing set pieces it's a it's a miracle and it looks especially for anyone, if you're lucky enough to have like a 4K or a Blu-ray and a nice television mm -hmm. set up at home, it look like it just makes contempt a lot of contemporary stuff look so terrible. It looks amazing and so complicated to do, right? I mean, he talked about yeah. you know, uh, 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 Brest talked about like you know laying the script out on four big giant tables because it was so intricate working with George Gallo, right? I don't know if George talked about that with you guys, but that was really a complicated story and a. And this was not one of those things where, yeah, they shot it in 38 days. No, 100 days and no. and six days a week and a travel day and the next. So, I mean, it was a, a hundred straight days of work. Brett said he lost a ton of weight, had to go to the hospital afterwards. Yafet Koto yeah. asked him if he was sick, right? Yeah. That, that was worried that he that he would lost so much weight that he was sick. And he rest was like he got so wrapped up in the movie he didn't eat. Yeah, I yeah, guess he did that on all of his. Yeah, uh, it was an shoes. appetite suppressant. Yeah, yeah essentially. Yeah. It was working so into but this was the toughest shoot he had by far yeah and uh, uh so it was complicated i mean there's so many things you know when movies 
I, I just, I always quote this because I, I, Seth Rogen was on Howard Stern and Howard asked him about bad reviews. You know, if he reads them and he was like, yeah, of course I read them. Everybody reads them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and he's like, but I, it don't bother me so much because these movies are so complicated, yeah. you know, from the script and uh, notes from the studio, all these things. He goes, what's amazing to me is when they, they're not terrible. Like that's the victory is when we manage to make yeah. them good. So I sort of expect them to be bad. And especially in a very complicated hundred day shoot, that's a road comedy um, with these really nice dramatic moments in it, but that, that this could easily have been such an ordinary and forgettable movie just because of the various little things that, that can go wrong with a movie. Yeah. And it gets back to the point that I'm sure everybody's going to make when you're talking to them is that, you know, clearly, you know, what Paul Thomas Anderson thinks and what we all think is that, you know, Martin Brest was an exceptionally talented director who yes. a weird set of circumstances happened to. And at 51 years old, he was done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Which is which is a, you know, travesty. He seems comfortable yeah. with it, which is great. But it's a it's a shame because this guy clearly knew what he was doing. Yeah. I mean, Beverly Hills Cops, another favorite. I feel yeah. like my friends and I talk about movie jail a lot. And I feel like we need, you know, Ben, you're like a, you're, you're an elder statesman. We need you to kind of oversee judge Judy style, like whether someone's allowed out of movie jail. You're like, yeah, an authority you know, have, on have a hearing, yeah. have a hearing. Okay. Who, who, what is this? Martin Brest, Midnight Run. Yeah. He's out. He's out. You're out. You're on parole. <laughs> yeah, Give this right. man a check. Give this man yeah. a check. Gold Verbinski. Oh yeah. You're, you're out. And then the Russo Nancy brothers. Myers. Give her. Yeah, yeah. Nancy Myers. Russo brothers, because, you guys can stay yes. in for a few more months, you know, just a but few I mean, more so, months. So you, I mean, I got it. So you made Geely. It was bad. You, you know, he could have taken his name off it. It didn't work. There was a hundred reasons why it wasn't all his fault. Yeah. It's bad. Who cares? You made yeah. a bad movie. Everybody makes a bad movie. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, it's hard. Super hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You also so, made like two of the seminal comedies of the 1980s. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Give yeah so uh, Ben if if TCM ever has a uh, you know has another open slot for you to to sit, oversee movie jail releases as a parole board <laughs> um, we'll we'll all be uh, voracious watchers and continue. I'm writing it down yeah. I'm writing down movie jail <laughs> pardon, program, pardons so. for movie jail pardons for movie yeah. jail I want to call the warden Ben Macquist to let yeah. me out. warden do the Don Rickles yeah. <laughs> do the Don Rickles with Ronald Reagan Ronnie my my cousin's in the joint and. Just one phone call, running. One phone call to the warden. Just say, warden, he's innocent. You know, right. Just like that. That's what we need. We need that. Yeah, that's right. That's all you need. That's right. Well, <laughs> gentlemen, this has been such an such absolute joy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, to talk to such diehard fans about this movie and just how special it is, and knowing both of your voracious consumption of movies and your knowledge and your your, your time with movies being your lives um it's just really special to talk to you and see how special this movie is because it's incredibly special to jen and i it's like a foundational moment in our friendship and we mm. natter on about it so much uh <laughs> in our private lives that we almost compelled ourselves to bring together other people who are obsessed with this movie and try and get as much attention to it continually as it still deserves because it's so amazing. So just thank you. Thank you. And thank, thank you so you. much. Look, as you can see over my shoulder here, yes. you know, I've got the midnight run poster. I could, if I was not doing this podcast, I'd be standing on a street corner, accosting strangers <laughs> saying, have you seen midnight run? 
Um, you know, how do you feel about Leonay's potatoes? Like it's, <laughs> that's my day ordinarily. Let's uh, let's get back together in uh, 2028 for the uh, 40th anniversary, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. hundred no. percent. Yeah. Yes, yes. Guys, thank you so much. This has been Midnight Run Through with Blake Howard and Jen Johans. We'll be back next week with another episode, but until then... See you in the next life. See you in the next life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.